This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. I'm Candace Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Talk Money To Me is a podcast where we draw on our extensive expertise and experience to help educate you on all aspects of your financial landscape. So folks, we're back with our interview episode and we're here to sit down with an expert in our industry to chat about all things finance, the markets, a certain topic that we have explored in our previous episode. So in last week's episodes, we gave our listeners the lowdown of the Sewn Hearts and Minds conference for the 2021 stock picks. We also provided a recap for anyone that missed it of the 2020 stocks that were discussed and how they've performed over the last past year. So as our last episode to round out 2021, we wanted to sit down with a very special guest to interview and talk about all things in the markets in terms of a recovery trade the big bad word, inflation, lots of other exciting things to help us identify, you know, some stock ideas and some key themes as we embark into the new year. So we have today with us Martin Crabb, who is our Chief Investment Officer at our very own wealth management firm, Shaw & Partners. Welcome, Martin. It's really good to have you on the show. Today's chat is not personal advice, and even though we're registered financial advisors at Shore & Partners, please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute financial advice, nor is it a financial product. The content on this podcast is general in nature, and you should seek appropriate professional advice before making any financial decisions. To provide our listeners with some context, Martin joined Shore & Partners in April 2011, and prior to joining Shore & Partners, Martin was an executive director at Macquarie Group, where he worked for over 20 years in roles spanning institutional stockbroking, wealth management, research and portfolio management. Martin holds a Bachelor of Arts in Economics and Mathematics from the University of Melbourne with postgraduate studies in applied finance. I'm going to kick us off. So the first question, let's start with the current market conditions. Martin, in a few sentences, give us the rundown of the current market. Do you think valuations are overpriced or just right at the moment and is there any other good buying opportunities? Thanks, uh, ladies, for having me along. It's it's uh, a pleasure to be here. And, and you know, when you said yeah, you wanted a, a special guest, you obviously couldn't get that person, so you've got me instead. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, in terms of your question, I think it's been a fantastic year for equity investors. If you'd been invested in the in the S and P five hundred, you're up almost thirty uh, percent in US dollar terms, and even more in Aussie. And it's been a good year for the Aussie market as well. So yes, we're expensive. So our, our the PE of our market, which is probably the most common valuation. Uh, tool that people use, it's at the it's at the elevated level. It's about eighteen times, and the average probably for the last twenty years has been more like you know, fourteen or fifteen times. So we're trading expensive relative to history, but given where interest rates are and bond rates are, that that's probably an okay number. So uh, it's been a good year for investors. People have made a lot of money. Share prices are elevated, so that probably does set up a, a bit of a, a tougher twenty twenty two or a or probably a lower return twenty twenty two than we saw in twenty twenty one. 
Excellent. Are you taking profits at the moment? We have been, yes. Yeah. So we, we, we took the view probably back in April, uh, sorry, August and September that the, the global growth um, pulse had just started to slow. So we saw this big rush of activities. We came out of lockdown. But as um, the Chinese economy in particular has started to slow because they're starting to reduce the amount of debt that they've got in their property market and also they're worried about their environment. So they have started to slow their economy. And so that's had a bit of a knock-on effect, plus the, the second and third outbreaks of of the COVID variants being Delta and Omicron, they've slowed things as well. So we, we decided the world was becoming a bit more risky back in sort of August, September. So we did take some money off the table and we've been taking some profits. So we're sitting there with a bit of cash. And we're really looking for opportunities to put that to work uh, in the new year. Great. That's the first insight, guys. All right, Martin. So looking back at 2021, you know, you kind of touched on it just then. You said equities did did awesome for, for the year. But has there been a favourite asset class that you think has really stood out in terms of producing the best return on investment for uh, for shareholders? The bond market's been a horrible place to be. So typically investors are balanced between equities and bonds and bonds have, have gone backwards. So as long as you've avoided the bond market, you've done reasonably well. Um, so equities have been the asset class of choice, you know, shares and particularly overseas shares and particularly technology, large cap technology. So most of the gains of the S&P 500 last year or this year, sorry, have been from about seven companies. So it's, it's Google or Alphabet, it's Tesla, it's NVIDIA, it's Microsoft, Facebook. It's the big megatechs, they call them, and they've, they've generated most of the returns to the market. So if you've been uh, lucky enough or fortunate enough to be in those stocks, they've done well. Locally, it's been really interesting, battery raw materials. So the biggest performers in the market are things like Pilbara Minerals, Independence Group, um, Linus, which is you know batteries, uh, sorry, um, rare earths for batteries and and um, and magnets. So it's been that sector of the market that's done incredibly well. I think Pilbara's up about 250% this year. So in Australia, you've been invested for the EV, the electronic vehicle battery raw material market. You've done it incredibly well. So that's been the place to be this year. Great, and I think we've got some clients in those names as well, which is great. Well done. Um, now, looking ahead into the new year, how is the lay of the land? for the ASX market looking? I mean, what stocks do we, I mean, you, we, sure, think that investors should be looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to change gears a little bit. I think the last couple of years have been predicting what the world post-COVID looks like. So if you think back 12 months ago, we had literally just had the US presidential elections at the start of November. We also had Moderna and Pfizer come out with their with their test results for the for the vaccines. So post that environment, it's just been basically risk on. I think the, the narrative's changing now where central banks are starting to talk about removing policy accommodation, so stomping printing money. To put that into context, central banks have printed something like $10 trillion of new money. So there's money everywhere, right? There's money in bank accounts, there's money in balance sheets, there's money in crypto, there's money everywhere, right? Lots of money in crypto. Lots of money in crypto. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a minute. But yeah, so we're sort of changing gear, gears now where central banks which basically control the price of money and the cost of money, uh, are starting to shift to a world where they're starting to tighten. So if you're moving for an, a, a period where 
um, central banks are accommodative, to central banks um, are tightening, markets don't tend to do as well during those periods. So we're starting to say, right, why are they tightening? It's because they're inflation. We'll talk more about that as well. So we need to shift to a more, not, not sort of defensive, but a more cautious stance. So saying, we've done really well, let's take some profits, let's diversify the portfolio. If we've got some gaps in our portfolio, let's make sure we've got those covered. And I think we need to start thinking a little bit more defensively within our equity portfolio. So think think about things that do well when inflation starting to pick up or companies that are well positioned for, for higher prices. That's kind of how we need to think about things. And I think you said that, you know, diversified financials were some of those companies that did well in that environment, as well as energy. Yeah. 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 So historically, the ways to hedge inflation within share portfolios has been energy, because typically energy has caused the inflation. Mm-hmm. Think of oil price spikes in, in the 70s and, and even more recently in, in the late 2000s, there was you know oil prices were $150, $200 a barrel. So that's where the inflation comes from. So that's where you invest. And I think that's probably the case going forward. If you look at the inflation we have now, a lot of it is, is uh, petrol prices and fuel prices and so forth. Other sectors that do well globally are financials. So US banks, tend to do very well when, when interest rates rise, less so in Australia because most of us have floating rate mortgages, but in the US they have fixed rate mortgages. So when rates are going up, the banks can make the extra money on the on the interest rate. So the only really global financial we have in our market is Macquarie Group. So it does give us some exposure to rising rates, maybe QBE as well. But typically, um, yeah, energy stocks, um, global financials, and also obviously companies with pricing power. And is gold still Yeah, gold, gold again has been a, a good hedge traditionally, more around negative real interest rates. So when interest rates are very low and inflation is above that, gold does do well. When inflation starts to show up, it doesn't do as well. So it's more about predicting when you think the market's going to start thinking about inflation. That's when gold does really well. So think about the uh, 2020 year, gold did incredibly well. This year it hasn't been as good because we are starting to see the inflation and gold's kind of done its job. I still think you should always have some in your portfolio, but we're not as attracted to it now as we were a year ago. I love those points, Martin. Like you're touching on, you know, really key things that we talk about every day with our clients, right? Diversification is key. Be forward thinking with the markets, like try and see what the macro trends are saying. So the number that keeps coming up in my Bloomberg app when I'm scrolling through is the US inflation is 6.8% now, which is that's scary numbers, right? So you're right on the money there. Inflation is here. It's not about when, it's about, you know, it's, it's happening. So in terms of diversification, a lot of Aussie investors, maybe we forget because we're such a big island here, but we're 2% of the global economy. So that's 98% opportunity offshore that you're missing out on. You, you touched on financials, you know, US banks in particular. Are there any other financials or any other stocks out there that you think globally that's something that's a good inflation hedge that you could add to the portfolio or maybe your favourite ETF to do that? that? That's spot on, Candice. I think the world is full of opportunity, but you need to get your money offshore. So, I mean, an obvious thing for Aussie investors is healthcare and technology. They are the two biggest uh, industries in the world, and yet they only make up 10% of the Australian market. So we've we got lots of banks, lots of miners, a couple of supermarkets, and that and that's kind of it, right? So, yes, we have CSL. It's our healthcare stock. But I think investors have to be uh, invested in those sectors because that's where the growth is. We're, we're getting older as a, as a global population. Um, and so as we get older, our demand for healthcare goes up. So it's a bit of a no-brainer to be long healthcare. And obviously, technology is also another no-brainer. You need to be invested in the companies that are making 
making um, you know the world digital and moving to the cloud, etc. In terms of inflation hedges, again, I think it's about finding businesses that can pass on higher prices. So we have a term called pricing power. So how good um, is the business franchise at passing on higher costs? So if you're running a, a you know if you're running a news agent or a milk bar or something like that, and your wages are going up, can you put your prices up? You probably can't. But if you're a big, well-known um, branded uh, goods company, you probably can. So if you think luxury, so the Louis Vuittons and, and those sorts of things, again, they're not Aussie companies. You've got to go overseas to, to buy to find them. Can they put their prices up by more than the, the raw materials? Absolutely, because people will pay for the brand. So I think branded consumer goods companies are very good. Um, global financials, as I mentioned, definitely you want to buy US banks, European banks, not Aussie banks for that. So I think there are some sectors that, that make a lot of sense. And the other ones, I think infrastructure. So we have some very good infrastructure stocks on the ASX, Transurban, APA are two that stand out for me. But again, can you get some diversification offshore into, into that? So we use the Clearbridge, um, the old rare um, global infrastructure income fund, because that gives us exposure to infrastructure assets, which are inflation protected around the world. And on the ETF topics, there's so many infrastructure ETF products out there. So you can definitely play that theme. So just touching on a couple more recovery trade ideas, let's talk about themes now. Are there any kind of themes that are sticking out for you for the new year? Like just pack, unpacking what you were saying, you know, translation of what Martin's saying, guys, is don't potentially invest in highly leveraged companies going into an inflationary environment because, like you said, if, if prices are moving, they can't move with the market. So are there any other sort of fundamental themes that you think, you know, this is um, something that we should be aware of going into 2022? Yeah, another good question. You're hitting me with some pretty good questions. The, um, That's the plan. Yeah, the, the recovery <laughs> trades may be an obvious one, but I just think it's worth putting into context Um how little money we've spent during this um, during this period. There's something like five and a half trillion dollars US dollars, so that's what seven, almost seven Aussie uh, trillion that's sitting in bank accounts that wasn't there pre pre GFC, and that's household bank accounts. So that's a lot of dry powder to go and spend on things. So we've spent a lot on goods and services. Um, sorry, a lot on goods, but not a lot on services because. You know, you know, how many haircuts have we been able to get and how, many, how much overseas travel we've been allowed to do. So there's a lot of pent-up demand. And yes, people know about this. It's not a new idea. But I think if you're, if you're thinking about the world in, in two or three years' time, returning to what it looked like in 2019, there's a lot of money to be made in reopening trades. And an obvious one is travel. So you can buy Qantas. Um, they're pretty much a monopoly now. But what about Expedia or what about bookings? Or, or maybe even Visa or MasterCard. You know, these these are fantastic long-term businesses to own, but they've been knocked around because people aren't traveling and they're not spending the money on the credit cards. So that'll all change going forward. So I think that reopening trade, again, there's a couple of stocks here um, in Australia that do that, but I think there's some really good opportunities offshore. So there there are a few names that we, that we have in our SMAs, for example, or Expedia, Bookings, uh, Visa, MasterCard, even Square uh, is, is another stock to look at. Flight Centre? Yeah, Flight Centre is one that we've that we've been in in the past. I just think one of the issues there is it's still kind of brick and mortar, and I think the world is moving away from brick and mortar. In, interesting anecdote we had, and this is not related to travel, but it's an interesting uh, uh, concept, is that we had the CFO of Westpac in here a couple of weeks ago, and we asked him about his property footprint. So they've got 900 branches, and I don't know how many thousands of square metres of office space in, in the cities. 
Yeah, he said some of their branches they haven't had people in for weeks. So why do they, why have they got them? And I'm sure Flight Centre had them in open. There'd just be no people going into them. So do these companies need these big property footprints? And and is that a uh, you know a weight around their neck? And I think for Flight Centre it probably is. So I'd prefer to play the the you know Expedias and bookings and these sorts of stocks than Flight Centre. So you agree with Phil King then from Regal short Flight Centre? I don't know if I'd go short. I think shortings are a real gift. Dangerous, and yeah. I think Phil and his team at Regal, they're very good at it. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm as good at it as them. So I'll just stick to being long only. So I'm just going to ask a question that Charlie Munger answered. Are you long airports or long airlines? My preference would be to be long airports. And, and we, we have yeah, historically owned lots of Sydney airports, but unfortunately that's being gobbled up by one of our industry super funds. So at least it's um at least it's not going offshore. But yeah, I prefer to own airports just because, you know, ultimate pricing power. Like if Sydney Airport puts its slots up by ten percent, what are the airlines gonna do? Fly to Badgeries Creek? Well they can't really do that yet. So they're the, a fantastic monopoly asset and they're regulated because of that. So I definitely want to own the airports. The airlines, if you're clever you can trade them. There are times when you want to own airlines, but um, I think I think it might have been Charlie Munger's offside of Warren Buffett says if I ever feel like buying an airline, I go and have a cold shower and settle down and then and then think it through because they're they're traditionally terrible investments. That's a great quote. One more question: Everyone wants to know, should I still invest in tech? I mean, I love investing in tech. What are your thoughts coming into the next couple of years? I mean, I think you can't avoid investing in tech because even traditional businesses. They're looking at how they can use the cloud. They're looking at how they can digitise. They, they're looking at how they can you know, develop their e-commerce platform. So you're investing in tech if you buy almost any business. It's not, even mining. I mean, mining are looking at autonomous trucks and all that sort of stuff. So the, every every industry in the world is, is involved in tech. So, uh, But I also think in terms of the big um, you know, growth companies globally, technology is where it's at. So whether it's a company like Ordinate, which is an Aussie company that we like that's developing you know, video and sound technology, or whether it's your, your Google, which is pretty much a monopoly on advertising. Like if you want to sell anything online, it's still the most effective way is to use Google, Google Ads, Google Words. So I think those businesses, you should definitely have an allocation in your portfolio to it. Great. So we're still long tech and disruptors. In a moment, we're going to hear Martin's thoughts on the Australian China-Australian relationship, cryptocurrency, and the big fear of the world of markets currently, inflation. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Now, I want to hear your thoughts on the love-hate relationship, it seems, that Australia has with China. Now, what are your thoughts on the trade agreements with China going forward? Do you think these tensions are going to negatively impact the Australian economy? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it seems that there's been two debates going on in in Australia. One's probably been, um, um, you know, led by by former Prime Minister Paul Keating. He gave a national press club address a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, Australia's, you know, re- region uh, and, and seeking our security, you know, back from the UK and, and the US rather than seeking our security in Asia. And I think I think that's a valid point. We are in Asia geographically. We, we're not part of the colony anymore. And, and you know, the old, the old um, ANZUS alliance and all that sort of stuff, it's kind of a thing of the past. We're in Asia and we should be seeking our security in Asia, not from Asia. I think that's a valid point. So, Having said that, the current government is not of that view. So, you know, we've seen um, Peter Dutton get up there and talk about the threat from China and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of that sort of scaremongering that goes on. And a lot of people in, in the community feel that way as well. They do feel there's a threat from China, not an opportunity from China. Um, and so, you know, some of the, the 14 measures that the Chinese government announced, you know, 18 months ago, played to that narrative as well. So I think it's quite difficult for Canberra to be, you know, all olive branch with China when we've just pulled out of the um, the Winter Olympics or at least a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics. We're fighting with them over wine, we're fighting them over coal, we're fighting them over barley, all these sorts of things. So I think for investors, it's what we call a tail risk. It's sort of a thing that's highly unlikely but really damaging if they stop buying our iron ore. So at the moment, they can't get the iron ore from anywhere else. Brazil's tapped out. Africa's not developed yet. So they've got to go to the Pilbara to get their iron ore to make this deal to, to do their, their infrastructure and their, and their building. So they're kind of dependent on us at the moment. But I think the path that we're on at the moment is, is not going to end well. And I think things will get worse before they get better. So I just, again, more of a caution than a panic is just be careful if your business is just selling into China be very concerned. So we had a lot of money in Treasury wine estates. And the reason for that is we liked the story of them selling wine into China because it's an emerging market. You know, they're, they're developing their, um, their their appreciation of wine. They're buying more branded product, which is what Treasury wine does. And, you know, when the, when the wine ban came along, it just knocked them for sick. So you've got to be really careful that you don't have too many eggs in that basket. So iron ore is the obvious one. Don't have lots and lots of iron ore because one day China is just going to stop buying it. And where do we sell it to? So I just think be careful about it, but don't panic about it. And I read that China was looking at having their own iron ore. Well, they do at the moment, Felicity. It's just really, it's it. just really low grade, mm. and it's full of impurities. So when they burn it to make to make steel, it pollutes the heck out of the atmosphere. Now China has a blue sky policy, and it's all about making the environment as attractive as possible ahead of the Winter Olympics in in next in next year. So they don't want to burn low grade iron ore, and that, that, they don't want to do it any time, but particularly right now, they don't want to do it. So if you go to the northern part of China in winter, it's very foggy and very sort of dense uh, atmosphere, and so particles get trapped in the atmosphere. And uh, if you've ever been to Beijing in, in in winter, it's it's horrible. I mean, it's just a very very unhealthy environment. So they don't want to do that. Whereas the stuff that they get from Australia is much higher grade and it has a lot lower impurity. So it's a better product. But again, it's the politics that are driving this as much as anything else. So we don't have to worry too much just yet about Australians' iron ore exports. Correct. Okay, that's good to know. Everyone invested in BHP, Fortescue, Rio. We don't have to sell them today. <laughs> don't have to sell them today. And look, 
Another good question. How about the Australian dollar? You know, what's your view on the AUD in 2022? Yeah, we're, we're probably neutral on the outlook for the dollar against the US dollar uh, in the medium to longer term. I think sort of 70 cents uh, up to 75 cents is kind of a what seems like the correct trading range for it at the moment. But it is a little bit of a cork in the ocean, the Aussie dollar. So when everyone's ebullient and positive about world growth, everyone buys commodities and, and Aussie dollar. And so it, it rallies. And then when everyone's a little bit concerned about, you know, slowdown in world growth, or there's another variant outbreak, or there's concerns about lockdown, everyone sells the Aussie dollar. So from a trading perspective, it's a very tricky thing to try to do. I think directionally, um, we've got a situation where our Reserve Bank is quite dovish. They want to keep rates low. They're, you know, they're not convinced that inflation's here to stay, and so they're being a little bit slow to put up rates. We'll see the Federal Reserve move faster. We've already seen the Bank of Canada, the Bank of New Zealand. There's other central banks around the world have started to put up rates. So it's more attractive to have your money in those currencies because you get paid interest, whereas in the Aussie, you don't. So we should see the Aussie under pressure in the short term. And then it comes back to that commodity story as well. So I think sort of 70, 75 cents seems like the right number. But we will be volatile. I mean, that's the one thing you can guarantee from the Aussie dollar is it will chop around. I think it does make sense for people to have their money offshore unhedged. So I'm not a huge fan of hedging because I think the currency adds another layer of diversification. So if things are going really tough for the Aussie market, our Aussie dollar will be falling, which will help your returns in, in global markets. Great. That's a good point. So I guess, you know, the currency is going to be volatile, just like our relationship with China. Mm, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of another volatile currency, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency and the whole, you know, uh, currency economy? Yeah, look, um, I, I probably got two trains of thought on this. One is probably an old school, and maybe that's just a reflection of my age, view that every bubble throws up a different, you know, way, way to lose money. Um, and, you know, whether it's you know, after the AIDS crisis, there was private blood banks popping up everywhere. Um, you know, in the tech in the tech boom, anything that put .com on the back of its name had a fan, uh, uh, unbelievable valuation. There's a company called JDS Uniphase, which was bigger than the whole market cap of Canada. I think Nortel, which was their Telstra, was 25% of their index. There was some really crazy stuff going on because there was so much money around. And I think the manifestation of so much money around this time is crypto. It doesn't really serve a purpose. Um, other than being a mechanism by which people can probably avoid being detected, um, you know, whether it's nefarious activities or whatever. But it is a real thing. It's a, it's a multi-trillion dollar market. So, you know, I can poo-poo it all I want, but it's there and, and it's a, a real thing and people are trading and people are making a lot of money out of it. I do think it's a greater full asset class. So it's a little bit like buying a work of art or, or a fine bottle of wine, in the, its intrinsic value is, is in the eye of the beholder. And I think crypto is like that. Um, central banks are obviously going to be issuing their own digital currency, which may take a little bit of a heat out of it. But I just be very cautious about seeing it as an investment um, asset, something to put in portfolios, just because of its inherent volatility. And it's in a bear market at the moment. And people look at it at $45,000 and go, wow, look how much it's gone up. But it, it was 60 something thousand. So it's in a bear market at the moment. So you can lose a lot of money in these things. So I think, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, um, it's barbecue conversation. It's a bit of fun. But is it something that people need to think seriously about as an investment or wealth generation thing? I think not. Do you 
think, I mean, we don't obviously have cryptocurrency in our portfolios um, at Shaw, but do you think investors are okay having, you know, up to 5%? Yeah, well, that's a sort of play money number. So it's a little bit like highly speculative expiration companies. I mean, there's some really, I mean, there's a lot of wealth that's been generated by people finding, you know, mineral deposit and drilling it and bringing it to market and make, and there's, you know, there's lots of billionaires. Think about Gina Reinhart, for example, she's our our richest person. And that's pretty much from dirt in the ground that, that, you know, they discovered or family discovered and and developed. So I think, I think, you know, crypto, Crypto's like that. It's like have if you want to have a small allocation to something that's interesting and volatile and and you know and can make you wealthy, then then great, knock yourself out. Five, but you're right, five percent is kind of the number. You know, I agree with you, Martin. I don't see it as a, an asset class really yet here to stay, but it might be. Like we could be wrong in yeah. five years' time, or maybe next year. Who knows? I mean, but I've got if, some crypto, some Shiba, Luna. <laughs> yeah, Felicity's the risk taker in this relationship here. But what about the blockchain technology behind the cryptocurrency economy? Like, do you see some merit in that? You know, a lot of big tech names like the Fangs are investing heavily in that space. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand about di- distributed ledger technology, it is, it is a bit of a game changer. There is so much money in our industry that's wasted, I think, on you know portfolio administration and custody and reporting and corporate actions and buy sell spreads and all that sort of stuff, which a lot of it's just because we're coming from an old sort of paper based sort of uh, approach to to how we custody and and uh, and register assets. So I think the blockchain has significant opportunities to pull a whole bunch of costs out of that. I know the uh, ASX is investing quite heavily in blockchain. I know some of the registry companies are looking at it very closely, and obviously the banks themselves are looking at using blockchain technology. So again, I, I think about rather than trying to invest directly into Bitcoin as a way to access it. So, well, okay, are there some companies out there that can benefit from it? So things like payments companies, you know, again, Visa, MasterCard, Square, these sorts of companies, or the ASX or, you know, some other registry companies like Link. I mean, maybe they're a better way to play it than actually trying to trying to do it through crypto. But I think it's one of those things that, you, you know, by having a broad-based global portfolio that's well diversified in, in industries like technology, you probably pick up an exposure to it without having to go into it directly. So, you know, we look at crypto and like we own Square in some of our portfolios, and that's kind of a play on crypto without having to take the risk of the price going up and down. And we've also got that, um, I mean, we don't have it in the short portfolios, but the new crypto ETF where it's got companies like Coinbase, for example. Yeah. So you could get that. Yeah, it's um, there's an, an analogy which is the picks and shovels. So the, the people who made all the money in the gold rush in the 1850s in Australia were the people who sold the picks and shovels. They weren't the miners because the miners all went broke because a million people came to Australia to find the gold and you know, found it had run out by the time they got there. But the, So the picks and shovels. So I think owning the picks and shovels of crypto is probably a better way. So things like Coinbase, it doesn't actually, it's not, you're not actually buying cryptocurrency when you buy it. You're buying someone who trades in it, makes markets, runs exchanges, etc. So I'm gonna have, I mean, I don't have a view on Coinbase per se, but I think that's more the theme about owning the picks and shovels rather than the thing itself. I like that analogy and that's really good. Everyone should remember that. Write that down. So what is the impact of inflation on investment returns and how can investors protect themselves? I think this is a really important question that everyone is listening to this episode for. Yeah, look, that's probably the one the one big issue apart from crypto that everyone wants to talk <laughs> about is inflation. So look, for a lot of uh, younger listeners, you probably don't know what inflation looks like for, for you know us older people. I remember, you know, 15% inflation. I remember 
you know, strikes every Christmas. The beer, the beer truck drivers will always also always go on strike and try and get a 10 or 15% pay rise. And I remember queues of, of cars uh, trying to get petrol because there was no petrol. So that's what an inflationary environment looks like. And not many people, um, you know, born in this century anyway, know what it is. So it's a little bit of a bogey. Um, people have been talking about its its uh, return for 20 years. I mean, I think someone said the Reserve um, Bank governor has been standing on the North Head with a pair of binoculars for 10 years looking for inflation, but he hasn't been able to find any. I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty true. But, you know, as you said earlier, Candice, the official headline US inflation is 6.8%. And we know just from um, looking at history that we'll probably get 7.5% inflation in February next year because the the three months roll off that were really low inflation and high inflation is going to roll in. So we're going to have 7.5% headline inflation in America and zero interest rates. So that's kind of very abnormal historically. There was a period after the Second World War where interest rates stayed low for a long time and inflation was rampant because governments were trying to get back on their feet after the war. But apart from that, you know, there's been mostly inflation happens. Central banks put up interest rates, try and control inflation, unless you're in Turkey, that's a different story. Um, And that slows the economy down and you have a recession. That's typically what happens. So inflation is correlated with bad investment returns because of that phenomenon. So we need to think about that. So inflation not only erodes your purchasing power, so the dollar you have today is worth 7.5% less next year in America. So unless you spend it, you lose it. Um, But it also hurts your investment return. So it's kind of, it's the worst thing for investors and worst thing for savers. Uh, It's not too bad if you're borrowing uh, money and spending it, but if you're saving, uh, trying to go towards retirement, et cetera, it's, it's the number one enemy. And it's very difficult to do much about because if the, you know, the global economy is going to go into recession because of interest rates going up, everything goes down. And because interest rates are going up, bond prices go down. So equities don't do well and bonds don't do well. So we've looked at periods um, in history where inflation is above two, above three, above four, above five, etc. And returns just get worse and worse and worse. So you have to be very clever in how you build your portfolio if inflation happens. Now, the view amongst most people is it's transitory. This is just us coming out of lockdown and we haven't had our supply chains keep up with demand, so we've got these bottlenecks. But the bottlenecks will miraculously go away and we'll go back to 2 3% inflation, which is what all the central banks want. If that's right, then fine. We can just you know stay doing what we're doing. But if that's wrong and we start to get inflation running away and our wages go up and our prices go up and our wages go up and they have these spirals, then that's when the damage gets done. So you need to think about that as an outcome, then how do we manage that from a risk perspective? So let's assume that that's going to happen. We want energy. We want those global financials. We want stocks with pricing power. We want some gold, which we talked about earlier. So these are the sorts of measures that investors need to have in case that happens. If it doesn't happen, we're fine. We're still going to do well. But if that does happen and we don't act, things are going to get pretty ugly. So we need to have that sort of mindset that we want to be wrong, but if we're, if we're not wrong, we're protected. I want to add to that to another theme is, you know, another point is you want to have companies that are a strong financial position because if companies go belly up, right, in this environment you've just described, then your stronger powers um, of the stronger companies, sorry, can actually buy out the competitors and become mega companies. And we've seen that in a lot of history repeats itself in the economy. And interesting that you're saying you, you're looking at the charts and going back to the end of the World War eras, because we are in kind of a uh, World War 
you know, war economy. We're coming out of the global war against COVID. We are in this recovery warlike stage. So it's interesting you've made that analogy. And I just wanted to ask you a side note because I've never actually understood where they get these terms. So the US is a bit more hawkish over there because inflation's moving, the 6.8% figure, and we're dovish. So where do these animal terms come from when it comes to global interest rates? Yeah, I'm not sure where hawks and doves come from. It's a Neil Young album called Hawks and Doves. Um, but I, th- I just think, you know, a hawk, hawk is, a, is aggressive, it attacks, and a dove's like, you know, it's a dove. It, <laughs> it flaps its wings, it, you know, it walks around, it's pretty chill. It gets it's pretty, eaten by the hawk. It's chill. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think so it's, it's, I think it's more about, about, yeah, the... But I'm not sure of the actual derivation, but I think it's something along those lines. So when, yeah, jargon busting, right, it's a big thing in our industry. So if someone says a central bank is dovish, it's me- it means that they want to keep rates low, that they're, you know, that they're a little bit concerned about the, um, you know, they're, they're not concerned about the future. They're, um, you know, they're, they're a little bit more accommodative, if you know what I mean. So whereas a hawk is like, oh, inflation's coming, we better put rates up, you know, things are out of control, we need to, we need to act. That's kind of the thinking behind that. That's great. Now, I'm going to ask a tricky question. So a lot of investors believe that investing in cryptocurrency helps offset inflation. What do you think? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, we haven't had crypto around long enough to be able to draw any sort of parallels between what happened, you know, the last bout of inflation. As in the new gold, for example, potentially. Yeah, look, at, look it's probably seen as a new, go- a new gold because... I mean, gold's a little bit back to that. What what's the value of gold? Um, it you know it depends on what someone's willing to pay for it. it. What's its intrinsic value? It's nice to look at it shiny, but does it have an intrinsic value? It has some intrinsic value, but it's more. You know, its industrial use is less than ten percent. Um, it's typically used as a store of value, which is what how crypto is being being described. So I think it's more around. It's a finite asset because you know, crypto. Um, Certainly, um, uh, you know, some of the cryptos uh, run out. So they only produce a finite amount of them. Yeah. Um, so Bitcoin, for example, has an algorithm that determines how many get produced. So gold's a little bit like that. There's only a certain amount of it on the planet. But I think looking at crypto as an alternative to gold in a portfolio, again, as our previous comments, the volatility of it's just off the charts. And I, I just don't think it should be used for that purpose. So I guess, Martin, that was fantastic. Um, I have learned so much just listening to you. And I know that we listen to you every morning. For, for the folks, our listeners, we have a morning meeting every morning here at Sean Partners. And Martin just gives fantastic insights like he shared with us today on the markets and trends to look out for. So here is, I guess, the pinch that we want to give our listeners. I guess you've mentioned a couple of really cool stocks like in the infrastructure play, Transurban and APA, Macquarie, if you think your financials. Ordinate. Ordinate. So I guess what would be your top three picks on the ASX for 2022? Okay, well, I'm going to caveat by saying large caps. So there's lots of really, really good small cap stocks that Shaw and Partners cover. So for listeners' benefit, we have, I think, 10 analysts now looking at small and emerging companies, a lot of which are very interesting and exciting. But what I tend to do for our clients is look at the large cap stocks. So I, I look at the stocks in the ASX 100. So when thinking about your question, I'm, I'm thinking about stocks in the ASX 100, but there are lots of really good stocks outside that, Ordinate being being one. So I was thinking about this and I think, well, okay, based on what we're talking about with inflation and pricing power and, and those sorts of things, what are some names that, that look quite well? So the first thing is energy. So 
Um, I know fossil fuels are not for everyone. I know there's some investors that won't go near them, and, and that's fine. So that that to one side, we do believe in having some exposure to energy in your portfolio. So which energy stock would I own, or do I own Santos? We, we own both Santos and Woodside, but if I had to pick one, I'd pick Santos. And the reason for that is they're requiring oil search. So there's a lot of merger activity going in the energy sector. It was like you were saying earlier about the, the strong getting stronger. I think there's consolidation in the energy sector globally and the stronger getting stronger. So Woodside's buying BHP's assets. Santos is buying AllSearch. AllSearch has some fantastic upside. It's got some Alaskan assets. Again, not for the uh, ESG uh, investors drilling oil in Alaska, um, but for those who don't have those concerns, that's some upside. And also the PNG LNG project, which is massive. So I think Santos, if I'm right on oil prices and they continue to go up, then you want to own that. Um, another one, we mentioned at Transurban. So Transurban owned a portfolio of toll roads around Australia and, and a couple overseas, and the tolls themselves are linked to inflation or 3 or 4% or 5%, depending on the concession. So if we do get lots of inflation, and we're, we're wrong about the transitory thing, Transurban's tolls are going to go up each year. It's a road. It doesn't cost any more money to run the road but they get more revenue and those that revenue flows to shareholders. So that's a great stock to own if you think there's going to be inflation. And it's going to do well even if there isn't inflation because they'll just put their tolls up by a little bit less, but they'll still put them up. So, yeah, yeah we, we, we like it. It's, you know, as, as motorists, we hate paying those tolls, but as shareholders, it makes it feel a little bit better that you, you're getting some of that back in your pocket. Um, and the third stock's Brambles. Again, it's a stock that's got incredible pricing power. They control the CHEP pallet system, which is actually a, an Australian invention, or it's actually a US military invention, but we, we pinched it and made it ours. Um, and that's basically globalising. So more and more um, companies around the world are using CHEP pallets to move goods goods around. And obviously supply chain efficiencies, CHEP's a key part of that. So it's a good stock for today because of what's happening in the world with supply chains reopening and people realising they need to use a pallet pool to get stuff to market. And so it's good from that perspective. But longer term, if there is inflation, they've got very strong pricing power. They can move those pallet prices up as, as, things, uh, as things tighten up. So there's three stocks. So Santos, Transurban and Brambles. Martin, that's music to my ears because uh, we always joke, Felicity and I, that I'm the large cap, more conservative investor and Felicity's a risk taker. So I'm your small cap, maybe even micro cap kind of gal. So we'll get um, one of the small cap analysts on next year. (laughs) Um, Now we've got a very, very, very important question. Coffee, tea or tequila? Uh, can I have tequila in my coffee? Do you yes. have a Mexican coffee? <laughs> you can definitely. Depending have on that. the time of day, yeah. yeah, coffee in the morning and maybe tequila and coffee in the in the evening. Definitely, that's a good answer. We've not had that. That's very smart. And this is why he's our chief investment officer. Um, now, if you'd like to get in contact with either Candice or I, or to find out more about Shore and Partners, head over to our website www.cftgroup.com.au, um, and remember to follow our Instagram for daily market updates before the open and the late line. Our handle is at Talk Money To Me Podcast. Talk Money To Me will be back in your ear in the new year. We're taking a small break and we'll be back on the 21st of January 2022. Thanks so much, guys, for a fantastic year with us. And we look forward to seeing you guys in the new year. Until next time. Merry Christmas. Stay safe, everyone. Talk Money To Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. 
Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.